Welcome to Stories Told by Friends. The narrative around the dangers of living in City Park then was constructed along that perimeter, that boundary of the riverbank, and my sisters and I were forbidden from going to the river. We were told we should never be there. It was a place of danger, and, and, and probably rightly so. However, that didn't stop us at all. I'm Dave Dirksen, and the voice you just heard belongs to my friend Kit. We sat down recently, and from that session, I created two shows. Chronologically, this episode comes first, but they can be listened to in either order. We recorded in Kit's backyard, so her great stories will be accompanied by many outdoor noises. Birds, wind, etc. Here's Kit. Today we're chatting outside, so that, that's a magpie, I hear. So it's good. It could become a bit of a, a bird uh, podcast as well today. It could. And as a matter of fact, there has been a, a historical magpie nest not too far from straight above your head. Oh, good. So, so <laughs> you never know. <laughs> exactly. That may add some excitement. But yeah, sure. it's nice to be outside. Yeah. So anyway, um, what, if anything, would you like to say as an introduction to who you are? Um. You've stumped me already. <laughs> uh, well, my name is Kit. Um, I've actually lived my entire life in Saskatoon, with the exception of, of four years of high school when I moved to Regina. And I'm a teacher. Uh, I'm now gloriously unemployed, which is code for retired. And um, I'm just so grateful to live in Saskatoon and, and to be close to my family. It's wonderful. Fabulous. Yeah. And this is always uh, a place with lots of action with the grandkids. When I've looked over the fence, there's always action. You've got the playhouse, so it's a, yeah. it's, it's a warm and lovely place to be recording yeah. a story. So yeah. I, uh, as usual, have no idea what you're going to share, which is well, fabulous. I love, to be, I love to be surprised. <laughs> the magpie does have quite a story to tell, obviously. They, I'll have they to... often do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. so well, You're I, on. I was thinking about um, what's a connection that you and I have together. And one of the connections, aside from basketball and teaching, and I say basketball not because I play basketball, but because I'm a fan, and that we both grew up in City Park. Uh, I, I lived on uh, 8th Avenue North from the time I think I was about two, maybe two and a half or three until I was 13 years old, and I lived there with my my family, my my mom and my dad and my sisters. Um, my mom was a city hospital nurse. She had, did her training at city hospital at the nurse's uh, residence just down the street on Queen. And my dad was a physician, and he worked at city hospital. And so we were very connected to to that neighborhood. Where I lived, if you're from Saskatoon, you know uh, the corner of 8th and Duke, 8th Avenue North and Duke Street, which is right where the former Wilson School uh, sat. And so we were right across the street from the schoolyard at Wilson School and, and spent countless hours there. What I wanted to talk about, it sounds a bit, um, a bit dark, but I wanted to talk about the experiences of growing up in City Park in the 60s and that that uh, how my sisters and I negotiated what was a kind of a dangerous territory at that time and, and then how I've, upon reflection as an adult, how I make sense of that. We had all kinds of insights, I guess, about 
what life was like there. We lived, well, 8th Avenue is probably four blocks from the riverbank. Yep. And and we were a few more blocks from the railroad tracks that run parallel to 33rd. Um, 7th Avenue was where the major bus lines were. So we had, I had this kind of perimeter around me where there were, that it was a perimeter of danger really in a sense because we were, uh, we were told how dangerous it was to be at the riverbank and we were told how dangerous the railroad tracks were. And, and as a kid in those days, I used the bus by myself. Uh, at a young age, went all over the place, and there were always cautions about that. But I wanted to talk today specifically about some of the the, the dangers in 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 within that perimeter. And and uh, I mentioned previously that my dad was a physician. He was a pathologist, but he also had a brain tumor for most of my life, and died when I was nine. But uh, one of the most interesting and uh, influential times that I remember as it relates to his occupation was that he was the pathologist who conducted an autopsy on a nurse who was murdered. Um, oh. um, Alexandra Vucharic, if, if I'm saying her name correctly, was murdered and she was last seen going down 33rd, I think parallel to the train tracks, but on the north side of the train tracks and her body was recovered right near the base of the train bridge on the riverbank, and she was partially buried. And my, my dad did the autopsy with that, and he was, I, as I was told um, by my mom, he was really shaken by that experience because of the brutality of the murder, and she was buried alive and sexually assaulted, and it was a, it was a very horrific and still unsolved um, uh, homicide and sexual assault. And so the narrative around the dangers of living in City Park then was constructed along that perimeter, that boundary of the riverbank. And my sisters and I were forbidden from going to the riverbank. And I say forbidden, and you can't see the air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> we were we were told we should never be there. It was a place of danger, and 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 probably rightly so. However, that didn't stop us at all. We just weren't truthful about it. And so my friends, um, Barb and Joanne, who lived on Ninth Avenue, we would hop on our bikes and we cruised along the river like all the time. But the, it was always the three of us together and we always felt safe. And I know for a fact that knowing who they are it would never have been an issue. Like we would have defended each other to the death um, if anything had Pretty happened Pretty tough there. nine-year-olds. We, we were extraordinarily sure of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, that was one, uh, I think, about the perimeter of danger there. It wasn't just the natural. As a matter of fact, I, I don't even remember conversations about the natural hazards of the river, which is really pretty profound. Right. Um, but we were, it was around the, um, the social dangers mm. that were there. And, and so that, there was that perimeter of danger on the, on the, uh, on the east side, of, like close to the river. And then the other perimeter was the, was the train tracks. And of course, we were forbidden from playing anywhere near the train tracks for obvious reasons, which again, we totally ignored. And my sister and I and, and my friends, Barb and Joanne and I would be pretty religious about clamoring up the, that berm towards the train tracks. And 
putting coins on the tracks and, oh, yeah. and putting little pebbles on the tracks and then waiting for the train and, and also going on the train bridge and waiting for the train to come by so we could be kind of terrified and exhilarated at the same time. Another perimeter of City Park. And, and again, I, I always felt confident there. I didn't feel particularly worried. We weren't, we were um, a little bit saucy, but we weren't. Um, taking risks that were ridiculous like standing on the tracks and jumping out of the way or anything our big our big badass activity was putting pebbles on the tracks but what was really a a story that really stands out for me around um my experiences and managing that whole uh risky uh, life in City Park was taking the number three bus on 7th Avenue. The number three bus was the one that took me to my grandma's house, which was wonderful. It took us to Riversdale Pool, which was great. And so we we took the bus. I took the bus by myself lots of times. It was no big deal. And I think I was about 10 or 11 uh, when I went to uh, take the bus and I was on my way to my grandma's house, which meant I had to transfer. At that time, I had a pack of bus tickets Lots of kids used bus tickets instead of carrying money, and I had my little red bus ticket, which was a child's bus ticket, and I got on the bus by myself, and I put the red bus ticket in the cylinder, and the bus driver started in on me. He said, you're not a child. You can't use a child's ticket and think you can get away with it, and so on. Well, I was, like I say, I was 10 or 11, and I was as tall then as I am now. Oh, yeah. I was an early mature, if you want to call it that. I was really tall for my age and understandably looked probably older than he thought I was, but um, but he really tied into me. And, and I said, I am a child. And I sat down on the bus and, and he kept uh, yelling at me in front of a bus full of people and essentially said, I'm not going anywhere. You have to get off the bus. I'm not going anywhere. And I said, I am a child and I'm staying on the bus. And But I was shaken. I was really probably shaking as well as shaken. And, and I sat down on the bus and he um, finally pulled away from the bus stop, which was at Duke and 7th. And he went as far as the corner store, which you know yeah. <laughs> is one block away. And he was, all this time, he's haranguing me about, you're not a child, you can't stay on the bus. And he said, I'm going to stop here. There was a corner store um, where City Perks is now. There was a corner store. He said, I'm going to go and phone the police. And I said, you go right ahead and phone the police. <laughs> so he walked into wow. the corner store. I think he went to the bathroom. I don't think he phoned anybody. But when he was in the corner store, this this beautiful woman came and sat beside me. And she she was... I would have said older than my mother, but not as old as my grandmother. And she had one of those, you can probably picture one of those felt hats that well-heeled women would wear when they went downtown shopping in their nice wool overcoat and their high heels and their, their handbag and this felt hat. And she just came and sat beside me on the seat and she just put her hand on my leg and she just patted my leg and she, she just sat with me. And then the the bus driver re-entered the bus, and he didn't say a word to me. He got behind the wheel and drove on, and she just sat with me for the rest of the ride. Wow. And I thought, what a wonderful, beautiful act of calm, silent support. Um, and I just, you know, funny how you, you just remember vividly certain things that really impress you and... Uh, the vivid memory I, I have of her and her support 
is is I guess balanced by the absolute photographic memory I have of that man's face. Right. That bus driver's face. I'll never forget his face. And I know he's not with us anymore because, you know, that was a long time ago. But um, yeah, I have a very very clear memory of his face. So I I think uh, about that story a lot. I think about that uh, simple gesture of loving kindness. How nice what it meant to me. And then, uh, and this one's a little harder to to tell, but um, because our house was across the street and in such close proximity to Wilson, my sister and I would go and play there all the time during off-school times, like in the evenings or on the weekends. I learned to ride a bike in that schoolyard. Um, We'd go and play hopscotch and marbles and whatever. So, one day after supper, we had had our our supper, and my sister and I still had some time to play before the streetlights came on, and we had to come home, and, and we went over and encountered a man who sexually assaulted both of us in the, the schoolyard. If you know Wilson's school, you know that there's a big stairwell that goes up to like the raised kind of main mm-hmm. level of the schoolyard, yeah. and there was also... Um, an entrance to the side that was pretty much obscured by trees. It was obscured by the stairwell on one side. It was obscured by the trees, and he took us back there. And it was a, a quick incident, and it wasn't... Um, I know you should never qualify an assault as being severe and you know on a continuum like that, but it, it, in my mind, I didn't, I didn't characterize it as an, as an extreme assault, but it was definitely a sexual assault. And we were understandably upset. We went home, we told our mom, and she was, she was over the top that she had the police there. She, her reaction was, um, was a, a, an act of loving kindness. It was really affirming. Yeah. Um, she didn't minimize it. As a matter of fact, she, she reacted very strongly. And again, it was, um, a profound reassurance to know that we were loved and protected in that circumstance. And so from strangers and from families, I hold a, a, a memories of City Park with a lot of affection. And, and, and I, think, I think that, for me, um, really outweighs the, the danger, that discourse of danger that was all around us. A discourse of hazard and risk and fear and and uh, the kindness of my my mom and this lovely person on the bus with the, with the felt hat and 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 my friends uh, really solidified that sense of safety in the world. So I often hear people very nostalgically talking about their childhoods and the freedoms that they had. And, and some of that is true, but the other truths of that freedom are the the dangers that we might have encountered. And I'm just so grateful that I had all those um, lovely touchstones to to consolidate my sense of safety and and my sense of agency in the world. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I. I relate to those stories, having grown up two blocks away yeah. on Sixth Avenue, 
the narrative of danger mm-hmm. all around you, mm-hmm. the train tracks, the bus. I relate so much to that because the, the number three bus was our, our ticket. We'd get on the bus and go to hockey games at the old arena yeah, downtown, downtown. Yeah. and then get back on the bus after the game as an eight or nine year old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, with confidence. Yeah. And no sense of apprehension. And and a sense that that like your experience that if something happened there would you know there would be somebody who would help you out as yeah. a kid I'm sure that that was the, our parents' uh, belief as well yeah but yes and their their hope yeah yeah and and the the proximity to the river that that the um, the trails right along the the river those dirt <laughs> trails that I still ride my bike on to to this day and feel a bit like a kid so yeah yeah. Oh, I relate very strongly to to, yeah. to the area anyway. But right. yeah. Yeah. It's really a beautiful area. Um now too. I think it's a it's a it's a wonderful neighborhood. And the other thing about that neighborhood that was so um was such a draw was the skating rink and the shack. I can smell that the smell the heat inside the skating shack. Yeah. It was really it was a real community force, and they played music over these tinny loudspeakers. I, I have a, a strong memory of a story um, that fits a little bit with the danger and the and the mm. the community support. Uh, my friend had his skates taken from the shack one one night when we were over there, and he was very upset because he didn't have the means to get, just get another pair. Like this was his, right. and so I went home, told my dad, and my dad went. And knocked on a door on Seventh Avenue, and said, "Give him his skates back." Yeah. And you know it was kind of a bit of a confrontation, but they went in and grabbed him and got the skate, gave him his skates back. You know, and and so it was that kind of thing where there was all this danger, but there was also this belief that there'd be support, and yeah. there was. And yeah. so it's a really interesting time. Yeah. 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 Good old City Park. Yeah. That uh, that corner uh, convenience store that you talk about mm-hmm. my my friend Bruce who actually has recorded an episode uh, right Bruce he, the the uh, fence that's scaler. right that's right <laughs> he lived directly across the street from that that store and he okay. had a veranda yeah and so we would play pranks on that that corner store we would order pizza <laughs> to the corner store and then watch from the veranda you know howl with laughter or whatever so uh, uh yeah yes. so that that old chestnut yeah exactly yeah. my cousin would come in from the farm and do the same thing to our neighbor mrs hall who lived across the alley from us her yeah. house faced wilson's schoolyard and my cousin would come in and order kentucky fried chicken and stuff like that and yeah so, so in some ways we were the danger yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we were the menace and the danger. The menace. Yeah, I'd say menace, not danger. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even know if my kids have heard all these stories. My dad, my father, the pathologist, and I didn't, I didn't know him well because he was ill pretty much my whole life, and he wasn't exactly a warm, fuzzy guy. As a matter of fact, he was. I often tell people that pathology was a good uh, specialty for him because he didn't have to fake, um, you know, a good bedside presence. But he did, my mom does tell the story of his distress that this woman was so 
brutally. She she was buried alive, and he knew that because he found in her lungs soil. Mm. The the murderer put her in this shallow grave, packed large chunks of concrete on her chest and body, covered her with loose dirt, and then left her. And as I recall, she was discovered because part of her arm was exposed and somebody walked by and saw this. But But that finding of his that... She had inhaled um, soil. Really, that really distressed him a lot. Yeah. Those those are very major and alarming um, incidents Mm -hmm. of real danger that Mm -hmm. you were exposed to and that Mm -hmm. your family was exposed to Mm -hmm. in that time. I I look at you and I look at your life and you've been so tremendously successful and helpful to so many other people that mm-hmm. that you know I would never have guessed that there was any trauma. of these experiences back in in your yeah. in your childhood. There was trauma. <laughs> there was there was trauma. But there was also the great gift of love and and like the support from my mom even though she had her moments too, but my grandmother was my rock when I was a kid. I think that that's what really gives young people, children and youth, um, the capacity to thrive. I, my grandmother was my hero. The real theme of strong women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, Dave. Thank you. Thanks for the conversation. You know, when we are are with people we think we know and we spend time together, we never get to talk about these things in a way that is just so, um, you know, authentically about listening to each other. It's mostly that kind of crazy party conversation. You're doing very good things by letting people be authentically heard. Yeah. Well, this is, this really has been uh, a, a tremendous honor to have be uh, given that window into into your incredibly personal stories and yeah, and thanks. Uh, and I, thanks I know for listening. I hope it wasn't too dreary. Not at all. <laughs> no, because everything does have or not everything, but there is the capacity for dreary to be very inspirational and to change your life in yeah meaningful ways. A big thank you to Kit for sharing these childhood memories. Her other story, A Kill at the Lake, is very different in style and length, but equally captivating. Check it out. It's a good companion piece to what you've just heard. And to you, thank you very much for listening. Feel free to get in touch at storiestoldbyfriends at gmail.com. And remember, new episodes are released every Tuesday. See you soon.